Well, we're into the guts of August, as they say, and I hope you've enjoyed your summer. I hope you've gotten some things done, maybe learned a new language or started pickling things or did a little Marie condoing to your condo <laughs> and threw some stuff out. I don't know. Just something you can check off in your pandemic journal. Are you keeping one of those? Don't worry. I'm not either. I'm also not learning a new language, pickling things, or Marie condoing my condo. I have, however, watched the entire series of The Vampire Diaries. Twice. <laughs> Thank God for listener emails to get my mind off Elena and Stefan. Stephanie from Wayne, New Jersey writes, Hi, Alex. Absolutely loved your interview with Tommy Emanuel. Oh, thank you, Stephanie. Your winning streak continues. Thinking about what you said about the amazing George Benson, who do you think are some other insanely underrated musicians who don't get the praise they so justly deserve? Well, great question, Stephanie. And there are many uh, in many different areas. Off the top of my head, I don't know. I think Jonathan Richmond doesn't quite get the praise he deserves for being a great guitar player. Uh, I think the Jazz Butcher doesn't get the praise he deserves for being utterly brilliant. And I think that Glenn Richards of Augie March is one of the most profoundly beautiful lyricists on the planet. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Now, I know all of this is subjective. And for those who love the folks I just mentioned, I'm sure they don't feel underrated to them. But I mean on a global scale. An easier list would be overrated musicians. That would be simple. But this is a show that supports art, so we want to keep it in that space. And rather than naming names of overrated musicians, what about naming names of overrated things? Like The Voice, or foldable phones, or podcasts on murder, or having a keto diet. Overrated. All of those things. But you know what's not overrated? Indie bookstores. You can visit the one in your town and buy my new young adult novel, Malro and the Midnight Organ Fight. Isn't it amazing how I've just sort of uh, segued into self-promotion? Uh, my book is a detective novel about murder, uh, which is way better than a podcast about murder. And I feel qualified to say that because I've listened to those podcasts and I wrote the book and I compared the two. And I think the book is better than the podcast. Don't believe me? Well, you should. It's not like I'm biased or anything. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast, and not a podcast about murder, by the way. Check this out. If life is a river, and your heart is a boat, I'm just like a water baby, baby, born to float. And if life is a wild wind that blows way on high, then your heart is a million dying to fly. Heaven knows no frontiers. 
That is the music of my guest today on the program, Mary Black. Let me tell you a little bit about Mary Black. Well, it's kind of impossible to tell you just a little bit about Mary Black because there's so much to tell. The Dublin-born singer came from a musical family. Her mom was a vocalist, her dad a fiddler, and Mary and her siblings got right down to business in the Black Brothers, a band that played clubs all over Ireland. Mary then joined the folk outfit General Humbert in the 70s, and as popular as they were, it was nothing compared to Mary's 1982 self-titled debut solo album. That gold-selling album, by the way, is considered one of the greatest Irish albums ever recorded. Not a bad beginning for a solo career, but Mary Black was just getting started. Over the course of her career, she's put out 12 solo albums, including classics like Without the Fanfare and By the Time It Gets Dark. Somehow, in between all that work, she also found time to record two great albums with the traditional Irish folk band Dedanon, and she toured the world with them as well. I told you Mary Black's resume is ridiculously long, and it is. Here are some highlights. She sold out the Royal Albert Hall. She collaborated with Joan Baez, Steve Martin, Liam Clancy, and Westlife. She won Irma's for Entertainer of the Year and Best Female Artist. And in the process of all that work, she also became one of the most treasured voices in music, both in her native Ireland and internationally. And speaking of that voice, What Hi-Fi magazine declared that Black's voice was so pure, they actually used it as an audiophile benchmark for comparing the sound quality of different high-fidelity systems. Pretty amazing, right? But that's not all. Because her son Danny, who sings for the Coronas and has been on the podcast several times, Mary Black can now add to her resume that she's part of the only mother-son team to appear on my show. I know, I know. It kind of dwarfs all that other stuff, doesn't it? Look, I'm so pleased to have Mary Black on the podcast. She doesn't do these things a lot, and I feel very, very lucky to have been able to sit down with her for this conversation. So enjoy this one. This is me and Mary Black right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. year mark 30 years since our No Frontiers album. Yeah. And we thought we'd like to celebrate it in some way or other. Not necessarily re-release it or not something like that. We want to do something different. So we thought about orchestrating the No Frontiers album. But the more I looked at, at some of the songs on that album, I mean, the, the title track is very powerful and there's some lovely songs on it. I felt I had so many, if I'm going to go the orchestra route, I thought there were other songs and other albums that really deserved to be in that position rather than, you know, all of the songs on No Frontiers. So that's how that's how the idea was born. And and then we got excited about it and the, and, and the National Symphony Orchestra were really interested in the, in the project. And then we were able to go ahead. So choosing the tracks was difficult, um, but I kind of had earmarked some in my mind even before I seriously thought about it. And they stayed front runners, if you like, um, some songs that I actually don't even do live on stage very much anymore. Uh, other ones I do. Um, so, like, it's kind of, an, it's definitely not, a, it's not a best of in any way, shape or form. It's just uh, my personal favourites and songs that I felt would lend themselves to orchestration well, you know? Yeah, and 
And what does the orchestration do in terms of you vocally? Does it does it change the way you present the song? Um, I think it does. I think any change, even if you have a band member who's uh, playing differently, you kind of answer a certain way. Sometimes you you know you respond without even realizing it to to something. I I mean I don't think they changed that much, and I don't didn't want them to change too much. Obviously, the orchestration changes the feel. It changes. We didn't use as much of the band, uh, so there was probably at times less rhythm, and and yes, we did kind of keep the guitar going through a lot of the songs. Um, you know, it, it, and other and other members of my band came in and out, and were brought in and out at different stages. Um, you know, because we, it, it suited uh, it suited the track. Brian uh, Brian um, Brian Byrne was my uh, man who put together the arrangements, who wrote the orchestration, and who produced the album. And his input was huge. Um, he he's he's from Ireland. He's from Navan in Ireland, and he lives in LA. And does a lot of orchestrated work for, for for movies, and he worked a lot uh, closely with, more recently with with uh, Barbara Streisand. So he's very well, you know, revered over in America, and has done great work here as well. He's he's um he's a very talented guy, and he 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 was born, he was reared on my music. He's younger than you know, his through his parents playing playing my music, you know, and um, he knew. Uh, a lot of these songs that uh, almost by osmosis, I think when you're young, you kind of like a sponge and you remember all the lyrics of songs that you heard when you were a child and growing up. I do anyway. And I, he was the same and he felt he knew these songs so well, most of them. And so he was delighted to work on the project. And uh, I think his input was, was really huge. You know, his music, he's, he's very talented. What did the project do to you creatively? Did you, when you finished it, did you think, wow, that like, where did it position you in terms of, um, you know, what you're thinking for the future? Would you like to do this again? Would you, did, did it ignite a, a different sort of perspective for you with these songs? Yes, it did in many ways because I'm kind of coming to, well, let's, I suppose I'm, coming down off my career, if you like, rather than ascending. Um, and, and, and I'm happily doing that because, you know, as you get older, you, you kind of try to wind down a little bit. And I don't want to stop singing. I, I have no plans to do that as in, the, in any way in the near future, I think. But I definitely have, have kind of cut back on a lot of my traveling abroad and my touring. I've kind of said my goodbyes in, in various uh, parts of the world. And so... Uh, I tour every year here in Ireland, and I might do a one-off big concert in some in in say Holland, somewhere that's easy for people in Europe to get to, um, in England for the English market, and um, you know. But it's 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 definitely have has been winding down. But this ignited something different. I mean, I mean, very shortly after it was released, um, we got a call from. Tasmania, of all places, uh, where their their national symphony orchestra, uh, their representative rang and said, "Look, you know, we lo- like the idea of this orchestrated album doing your songs, and you know, would you be interested in coming and performing here in Tasmania and Australia?" So I suddenly went, 
Well, that sounds very interesting. Suddenly, yeah. my, my stop, my stop in kind of wanting to go abroad and be traveling again was reignited. So there is something about it. It's just, you see, I haven't actually, I performed with them for the recording, but I haven't actually done a concert yet. Now, we have a plans here in Ireland for the actually St. Patrick's Night, the 17th of March, uh, here in the National Concert Hall here. I'm going to be performing the album with, with the National Symphony Orchestra, uh, you know, with an audience. So that's exciting. And I'm kind of waiting to see how I feel about that. But I am excited about it. And I loved, I loved the performances that we've done together already, just the one-off here and there, you know. And also I brought in, we filmed the orchestra while they were playing on these songs. And so I put a, we have a screen for, for my live shows and we brought in, four songs at the moment it's four might be a little bit more as, as we go along um, with the orchestra and we're able to show the orchestra on the screen so it's very interesting to actually sing to a full orchestra now it's not quite the same as if you were in the room with the orchestra but it's it's pretty close and, and it's been really nice and the audiences have loved it so that's a real indication of hopefully what's to come I think it's funny that you were saying goodbye to places and all of a sudden you're saying hello to Tasmania. <laughs> I know, Tasmania, well, the other side of the world. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. Um, you're, I want to tell you that your your son is, has been on our program a couple of times and he's a, a very popular guest um, oh. and a very sweet guy. And he, he revealed that he, you know, for his own music, he was talking about doubts that he had had and how he how he battled self-doubt in the creative process. Um, your your music to me has always been so strong and so assured. Um, but of course, we, I, I'm sure doubt sometimes crept in. Um, how did you Ooh. face your own artistic uh, tentative feelings at times over your career? Yeah, and I have been that soldier. You know, I've, I've had times where I kind of thought, uh, you know, I mean, am I, when are they all going to realize that I'm not that good? <laughs> you know, that kind of thought. <laughs> when, is it, when is this bubble going to burst, you know? Um, yeah, but you know something I love? I always loved singing. And uh, I've been lucky in my career because a lot of them, the songs I sing are not written by myself. Like, I, from an early age, would have been more in the folk traditional side of music. So, you collected songs, you, you handed down songs from older people. And that was, that was the way I kind of came into music, really. And um, so I never took the pen up, if you like, from an early age. And, and for the, with that in mind, there's so many great writers out there that actually aren't real performers. So I was in a, the, the right place at the right time in Ireland where there was incredible songwriters, people like Jimmy McCarthy, Cork, who wrote No Frontiers, who wrote Katie, uh, Bright Blue Rose, the most amazing songs. And um, and then and No Brazil comes to mind as well, who wrote, uh, he wrote Circus, he wrote uh, Somerset You, uh, Columbus, Ellis Island, the most beautiful songs, could few of his are also on this orchestrated album. And these were people that were delighted that I was recording their songs because I had a, I obviously had a following and, and I was really popular here in Ireland particularly. And then it grew as, as time went on, uh, to the world. And, um, you know, it worked, you know, sometimes the ideal is to be the singer songwriter, of course, but sometimes you need, it takes two, you know? Right. So I was, 
I was in the right place, they were in the right place, and, and it worked for us. And um, so, but you see, singing for me and interpreting, because I do feel that my interpretations, I mean, there were times when I listened to the demo that was sent to me long after I released a song by, say, No Brazil, for example, and you'd hardly recognize that it was the same song. I mean, the lyrics the same, you know, and the they, the, the melody would, would be similar. But really, I do think that there's, a, there's a, a lot of interpretation that me and my band uh, put into a lot of these songs. So that's what made the mark that or the sound that is Mary Black. Um, and, and that's what I love to do. That, that's where my forte is. My performance, my my uh, interpretation, and my love for for singing, which is what I feel I was born to do. You know, what is the secret? So that's what I always fell back on. Whenever I had those doubts, I'd say, well, I remember, you know, being in a, a noisy bar and starting to sing, and the whole bar would be, would be you'd hear a pin drop, mm. and and that's and I kept saying to myself, well, that's what I do when I walk on stage. It's the same thing, and people listen. And that's and and I get I get so involved in the emotion for a lot of these songs that I actually can forget about my doubts before I walked on stage yeah. and overcome them through the music, you know. Yeah, that's a, that's a really beautiful way to put it. And I think that in terms, you are also as an interpreter, you have to first mm-hmm. listen to what the writer intended. And I think you have one of the great mm-hmm. ears. For that, I think, you know, Sinatra was very similar in that way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's so many, I mean, Elvis and so many great, great singers who sang other people's songs, but it was the way they sang them and how they put put the, you know, put the song across, you know. Um, so, I, I, you know, I have written a few songs over in my career and, and, and I'm, there's a few of them that I love and I'm very proud of, but my, yeah, my forte was always in, in singing and, and that, so. That's what I stuck with. Being an interpreter, you must have, I'm, I'm really, I've always wondered this because I got into your music around 87. Um, oh. And at the same time, I was immersing myself in the Pogues. I always wondered what you thought of Shane McGowan. Oh, he's an incredible writer. I mean, you know, there's a man who, you know, doesn't need to be extremely expressive in the way he sings, like Dylan, you know. The vo- it's not about the voice where, where they're concerned, it's about the actual lyrics and the way and the way the song moves and how how beautiful those lyrics are you know what I mean and and the depth of thought that goes into them so you know you don't always have to have the beautiful voice you know it's it's sometimes it's great and sometimes it doesn't matter yeah and were you uh aware of the Pogues when they were sort of around were you were you a fan and did you sort of were you oh yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah you see I suppose um you know, I'd say he was inspired by the Dubliners, uh, who 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 are a well-known folk, you know folk band uh, here in Ireland and all over. The, well, particularly in Europe, I'd say maybe not so much in America, but they were amazing. And and I think um, you know they, they were influenced a lot by them. So we knew the sound and we knew the throwaway kind of voice and and the kind of half drunken kind of thing. That that would come across. Well, I mean, it wasn't half in, in his in his case. It was fully, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because he's. I don't know how that man is still alive with the amount of vodka he drinks. But um, anyway, the good thing is that he is, and uh, and he, and you know, you have to recognize talent and recognize 
uh, I mean, writing talent is just, his writing talent was is just was a phenomenal. I don't know how much he's writing now, but, but those songs were amazing. Yeah, and I'm, I'm also wondering when you interpret a song, um, if I read a Shane mm-hmm. McGowan lyric, I can read it on paper and hear his voice. Mm-hmm. When you, when yeah. you, right? So when you interpret a song and the writer, mm-hmm. their voice is so strong, how do you interpret it in your own voice? Is that the big challenge? Mm-hmm. Well, if the song, I have to put my, myself into that scenario again. Um, I try not to listen to their tape interpretation too much. So when I, if I was immediately taken by a song, let's say of Jimmy McCarthy, um, at the, you know, whatever time he, I remember he came into the kitchen here in the house and he sang No From, I remember the moment when I heard No, the first time I heard No From Tears and I just had shivers going up and down my back. And I never really listened to his interpretation much after that, just enough to write the lyrics down, enough to remember the melody. And and uh, and Declan Sinnott, I have to say, uh, back then, because he was with me for 13 years in the band, and he was the guitar player and producer of those earlier recordings. Um, he was he, he was very uh, a talented guy and uh, very, very good at, at I suppose, Having the chordal in, input, uh, you know, that sort of sometimes led you to a particular way or pick a particular note at any given time that would that would make it slightly different, but that make it more beautiful. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah. So those kind of things, because we were working together, um, you know, it, it just it just was like, you know, it's like when stars collide, you know. It doesn't always happen, but I think he worked really well alongside me and vice versa uh, as as arrangers and um, inter- interpreters. And um, so I didn't listen too much to Jimmy's uh, way of singing it. And I did that with every song, and I made made a point of doing that. Um, and oftentimes I would think, I bet you I haven't changed that much. And they, like that, I'd go back and I'd say, gosh, it is different now. I, I used to listen for uh, for years to Sandy Denny from Fairport Convention. and She would have been one of my big influences when I was in my teens. Uh, she's an English folk singer. Sure. And, uh, and uh, I was very, I mean, she was my inspiration to actually stand up and, and sing and be heard, you know, more than just in, in my bedroom or in, you know, in a small room with a few people. Um, and uh, even though I never got to see her live, I always felt that she kind of, in a way, her spirit pushed me along, you know. Um, it's kind of a weird thing to say, I know, but uh, something about her and her music inspired me and, and made me go on to be the singer I am. And I know she influenced me a lot. And I do, from her early record, from the recordings um, of my my early stuff, I can hear a little bit of Sandy Denny in me. Yeah, I can. Because it's, we're all influenced by what we hear and what we listen to, no matter whether we want to or not. You know, you, you, you know, there is a certain amount of stuff that goes in that you can't push away, you know. But I think we're made up of lots of experiences and lots of influences, I think. Um, growing up in inner city Dublin, being interested in folk music, hearing other singers, traditional singers. Loads of music in England, Scotland was coming through to us and, and even American American uh, country music. I was listening to all kinds of stuff growing up. And another one was um, uh, Billie Holiday, who I used to listen to for hours and hours, endlessly. And that's kind of where I really discovered how emotional a song can be. And 
how to get emotion into what I was doing, you know. I mean, I wasn't trying to copy her in any way, but I remember being so moved by some of the songs of her songs, the heartbreak that went along with them and being heartbroken for her, but also heartbroken singing it any, from that moment on and, and any song that touched me in that way, you know. So all these people are influences, you know, in one way or another. Well, and Billie Holiday is a really great lesson in subtlety because she's not, you know, she doesn't, you know, this idea of like hitting these amazing stratospheric vocal heights. She's not doing that, but she's doing it on a totally different level, right? No, but she's, 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 she's laying her heart out on a slab in front of you, you know? Right. And it's like, you know, and it's, it, it, it touches you, you know, it really touches. And that's what music should do. And make you feel emotion, you know, be it good, happy or sad or, or you know, whatever it is that the song is portraying and the, the lyrics. Uh, but it's also the music, you know, it's not just the lyrics. Because if you just read the lyrics sometimes on their own, they, they might strike you as, as they would, the way they would if you put them to a melody. And the, mel- the melody makes, even, makes you even sadder, you know. It's the music within the song, too, that can make you feel like that, you know? And music alone, without words, can be very touchy. I mean, we went to, we went to Japan, and they, most of the people in Japan, back when I was there anyway, and I was there many times, they don't have English. And they're crying at my gigs. I <laughs> saying, how do they know what I'm singing about, you know? Right. But like, it's, it's straight. Yeah, because they didn't. But they still felt the emotion of it. So that's, you know, that's what I'm trying to say. It's not always about the lyrics either, you know? It's the universal appeal of the sound of it. Yeah, the sound of the voice, the expression in the voice, and the highs and lows that go with the song.
What, what was your yeah. take, Mary, on Amy Winehouse? Did you were, did you pay attention to her career when she was around? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. I was extremely sad. I always feel really sad about the way her life ended. She was only twenty six, I think. And um, what a what a talent! I mean, I never went. Then back to black was came out. That album, I just I played it and played it and played it. I just I thought it was amazing. Her singing. You know, the way she spoke from her own heart, you know, she obviously already at such a young age had been totally heartbroken and she could write about it and, and the music and I loved the style. It was kind of, it was going back to a kind of a 60s sound and I loved all that. I thought it was really, really fresh, even though what it was, you know, it had been there before. But, you know, sometimes you have to reinvent. You take from the past and you reinvent it and put your own stamp on it and make it something else, you know. But no, she was amazing. How, just out of curiosity, how critical are you of yourself? Are you, um, because you seem like such a marvelous collaborator and you seem like somebody who, um, you know, you, you're, you've had such a rich career and people love you. How, how are you with yourself though? Are you, like when you listen back to your old records and you think, I'll pick this song and this song along the way, do you do you find that you're critical, um, and does it surprise you? Um, if so, to be honest, when I listen back uh, at the time, I would have been more critical. You know, if I listened, if I made an album and I listen back, I don't listen very often. But if I you have to listen sometimes when you're mixing or whatever, and you're working on the tracks after, you say, God, I could have sung that line better. And I was always a little critical of myself. But now, at this stage in my life, I'm not critical. I don't sing as well because I'm older and my, you know, your voice is a muscle like all your, all the other muscles in your body and they, they don't work quite as well and I have to exercise it more and to try and keep, you know, it's a different voice, let's just say. It's not the same voice and it's probably not nearly technically as good as it was, it was when I was younger. But I still think I've gained more from, I've learned more through years of doing it with about, you know, expressing myself on stage live, you know, I even might speak a couple of words that I never would have done early, you know, early in my career as more purest singer, you know, and I do think both of them are, are, are good. I don't think either of them are bad, you know. I just think I wish I was looser when I had the, the, the voice I had when I was younger, that I could have been a little bit looser with it and less perfect. Not perfect in, in a good way, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, but look, you can only, that's, no, you, nobody can teach you how to sing or what way to sing or you just have to sing from your heart and sing the way you feel it and then as time goes on you're feeling different feelings and you, and your and your everything changes you know all the time i think there's change and i think i would be far more accepting of imperfections now than i would have been when i was younger i always thought it was about being perfect but it's not at all it's not at all. So that's why I would have been more critical when I was younger, because I kept thinking it could be more perfect, it could be better. Um, whereas sometimes it's not about being better. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's about it's about the feeling. It's more about the feeling. It's more about the expression. It's more about it's as much about any of those things as it is about the body. You know. That must be quite a relief to you to have that new perspective. <laughs> yeah, it is. I love going out now. I love singing more than I ever did, you know. And I suppose 
I've accepted myself for who I am. I know that people like me for who I am and and they come to see me, you know, and they know they know what to expect. I'm not a new I'm not a new person coming on the scene. So they bought their tickets, they're coming and we're gonna have a good time together and and I give them everything I have. I dig deep every night because I never give up on a show, no matter where I've ever been. I always make sure well, I do my level best to send them home as happy as they possibly can be. So it's fun now. I, I don't I don't sweat over this small stuff at all. No. Is your you No, know, and if somebody makes a mistake or you kick kick a glass of water over, you make a joke, like if you forget words even, it's not a big deal. You know, right. and sometimes I do forget songs I've sung for thirty years and I forget and I say, Oh geez, sorry about that, but Yeah, and I think that's kind of the key is to be able to laugh at yourself. Then it almost feels like artistically you can stretch out even more. Yeah, yeah. And I think people relate to that far more than they relate to me being, you know, trying to give the perfect introduction to the to the perfectly sung song. You know, that that's that's not real. You know, you know, in the end of the day, I think could be no, I'm not I'm not being I'm not saying that I was always perfect or I always, you know what I mean? But that's what I strived for, to be, to do everything better. And I don't think that that's always the best thing, you know? So, look, we're going deep into something here. I don't know how you'd, you'd even uh, <laughs> put this, you know, I, I, I really feel that I've, I've learned through living and, and now I've come to this place and, and it's great. Yeah, and, and I also think that when people come to see you live, um, you know, it's kind of fun if something happens, like if you make a mistake and maybe you make a joke yeah. about it, that becomes a really singular yeah. experience that those people, you know, they only get that. Nobody else gets that for yeah. that moment. Exactly. 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 It changed. It makes something different from one concert to the next. And if you chat about, I try, I do try and I, and it's not in a perfection way, but I do try. I never go pitter-patter about my introductions. I've never, try not to say the same thing twice, talk about different aspects of the song, talk about a story that reminds me of something else that might be, I, you know, I chat to people as if they're sitting beside me. And, and I, you know, that, and that, and I'm very comfortable in that place now more than I ever was. So that's what makes the, the concerts better, I think, now than they were er- at, at an earlier time. When the music was probably much more perfect and much more maybe better played, better sung, all those things, but it doesn't make necessarily mean there were better concerts. Right, right. You know, mm. what is your in terms of your discipline of your voice? Um, do you practice every day? Do you or do you find that you're ritualized in how you in how you um, practice, or how does that what does that look like for you in terms of a routine? No, I don't. I don't. I don't practice every day. <laughs> if I have a tour coming up, I practice for a few weeks before the tour to get things moving. And you know, I mean, I it could be a session or something where we'd be singing. Um, maybe to be uh, the odd thing that you'd be you'd work your voice before. Um, no, I just never was one for always singing all the. I think my kind of singing comes from from within, as opposed to you see. I never practiced when I was young. I never did exercises, and maybe I should have, but I didn't. 
And I, I always said, well, if it's not broken, won't try and fix it. It's working fine for me. I'm not going to change it. I always was afraid if you over-rehearse and over-sort uh, of work your voice, that the, the voice becomes something different. You know, like the way uh, if you're an opera singer, your voice changes because you're you're practicing in this in that kind of way and you're doing exercise. And you're doing, so cha- I, I was always afraid it would change it. I was quite happy with my voice. Yeah. <laughs> so now I only, I practice, I would work coming up to tours, coming up to a concert, I'll start working a few weeks before before that. I mean, I hum a lot because I do think that's good for my voice. I sing along with music in the car all the time. Like, I'm always, I'm always singing. I go around singing. I amaze myself because I find that suddenly I realize I'm singing in front of people that, to myself, but people are listening you know, in a car, in a bus or something, you know. Um, but uh, so I suppose in that way I sing, but no, I don't do anything regularly, no. Were you somebody who was always very protective of your voice, even at a young age? Yeah, because that the fear of not being able to sing and you have a concert coming up is the worst thing ever. You know, I mean, if you get a cold or you get, uh, you know, I, I'm really careful about putting a scarf around me if it's chilly, you know, making sure my chest is well. I take vitamin C, take, I do all that because I've known in the past I've, I've got cut out and... You know, it's the worst place to be in if you can't sing. And there's people after buying tickets to your concert and you can't sing for them. That's horrible. Thankfully, I haven't had to cancel too many uh, in my lifetime, but I did have to cancel some. And, and it's not a nice thing to have to do. So I am very careful in that way. I mind myself. And I and I keep fit. I try to keep fit. Because I think that's all part of it, too. You know, be active and fit. And I do Pilates and the breathing and the core uh, in Pilates, it's brilliant for 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 voice because breathing is singing is all about breath as well. Right. So those kind of things, I mind. Yeah. And has that like something like Pilates has that actually helped in terms of, or I should say, augmented um, the voice yeah. in a way that surprised you? Yeah, definitely. And I only took a, a Pilates, I'd say, in the last ten years, and I think it's really helped me. Really helped me because. I think when you've got control of your of your core here and you, your your breath and you're pulling in and the muscles are strong, I do think you can hold a note longer, you know, and <sighs> and you can you can you know express vocally uh, in a in a fuller way, you know, if you have your if your core is tight and you have you know yeah good breath control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I like I was telling you, I, I teach college, and one time I got a cold from one of my students, and I literally lost my voice. And Mary, it felt like I'd lost the ability to do the one thing that I do. <laughs> and it was, oh, I know it's frightening. It's frightening. Yeah, when that happens. Yeah, it's really frightening, and that's why I do mind myself in that way. I, I make sure I take vitamin C every day, slow release vitamin C, and I take zinc because sometimes it doesn't always absorb if you don't. I take zinc. So I take a little bit of zinc and I take echinacea. If I feel any little sniffle or if anyone around me has a cold, I'm into the echinacea straight away. If I see a young mm. singer smoking a cigarette, I always think, don't do that. It's going really, to oh. ruin your voice. Oh, oh the worst thing ever. Although Joni, Joni smoked all her life. I think it enhanced, she was probably one of the few people that enhanced her life, yeah. her singing voice. As she got older, and yeah. she had such a beautiful voice when she was young too. But um, yeah, again, you know, expression is about expression. Yeah, or even even Dylan. I mean, I, I I'm sure Dylan smoked. His voice certainly changed a lot. Well, I think Dylan deliberately sings sing badly. I think he's well able to sing. When you hear his younger 
he was well able to sing when he was younger and you know I think he just made made a decision to just not give a shit <laughs> I think if he really wanted to sing a song in tune he could that's the way I feel about Dylan so he's he, it just sounds like he's not even trying to right now yeah 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 I don't think he tries that much I don't think he really cares you know he just throws away notes and he tries he's not trying to be a singer He's doing his thing. He's doing what he likes, and and it's good. But he's not trying to be a singer or sing well. And he can because he listens to his early recordings well into sing and into yeah. I've been such a fan for a long time, and I've always wondered, um, you know, for you with the voice that you have uh, and walking around being able to sing the way you can and the way that you've you know brought so much to so many people. Um, have you been somebody who is also I, you know, uh, competitive. If, in other words, if you were you aware of what was happening around you and think, "Ooh, that's a new voice. That's that's a pretty strong voice." Were you always aware of your contemporaries in that way, or did you think of it more in a collaborative way? Um. Well, I can only talk really about my contempor- contemporaries here in Ireland. Like, uh, there's a lot of good female artists. I mean, the whole woman's heart thing was a was the, you know, the women waving their flag about being, you know, well, really well represented in Irish music. And there was a lot of great talent back in the early 90s, around that time, the 80s and the 80s, 90s. People like Dolores Keane and Maura O'Connell and uh, Eleanor, Eleanor McAvoy and, and lots, lots, I mean, obviously Sinead O'Connor and all these great, great female artists who, who, who made their presence felt and were strong women. And I always admired that. I always thought it was the best thing ever. So I never felt threatened in any way by other female artists. Um, because, and even though I am competitive by nature, I like to do well and I like to, I like to, I like to win, you know, like <laughs> they, they slag me here in the house because like, no matter what I, whatever, what game we're playing, I love to win, you know, and I'll, you know, I'll be, I'll do everything I can, table tennis, Cards, you name it. I I want to win, and I'm like that in life. I think I want it to be good. I want it to be. I want I want the audience to go away really happy. That's that's winning to me, you know. So that's that's my personal uh, competitive nature. It's more with myself, I suppose, than with against other people. Like uh, you know, I I I I particularly am very supportive of of other women in whatever they're doing. I, I'm always been like that. Because uh, I do think women still have a bit of a raw deal. I'm not, and I'm not a real roaring feminist by any manner or means. But um, you know, there's still inequalities without a doubt, and it's hard to believe in this day and age. You know, um, but you know, women don't get paid for the same kind of work as men do. Still here in Ireland and England, you know, there'd be a bit less. You know, <laughs> why? Yeah. <laughs> I <just> say why. <laughs> Sleepover. No, I don't lose sleepover. I don't. I don't get. You know, I don't get angry. But but I still feel. You know that women have have a lot on their plates. And if they get a, you know, they have to. If they carry the kids for nine months, and they breastfeed, and and they're the mothers, and if they're criticised if they go back to work too soon, or they're criticised if they're awaiting their kids too much. You know, and sometimes it's not that easy. You know, so I'm very aware of of women and the lives that they have. And also, you had to balance, right? I think of my mother probably more. Nowadays, it's not so bad. I think people are supportive of women by, by, you know, mostly. But I just feel, I think about my mother and the life she had. Like, 
she never went outside the door. All she did was look after her kids and work part-time to try and make ends meet. And it was all about... And my dad was up in the pub having a few pints, you know. And that was accepted. That was the way life was. Right. <laughs> and I often think, wow, women wouldn't stand for that now. You know what I mean? They'd say, get your ass on here and change that nappy, <laughs> you know, do the dishes or whatever, you know. But my father never washed a cup in his life. <laughs> you know, well, but he brought, he brought home the bacon. He worked hard and he fed, and you know, and he and he always worked and he always had a job and he put up the money. But like that was it. That's where it stopped. <laughs> well, your I shouldn't go on about that. No, no, no. Your experience as a as a mother yeah. who was also you know working in the business must have also been yeah. something which informed your sensibility as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And I I remember all the women I've worked with. Emily Harris talked to people like Joan Baez, people I've recorded with. All of them found it difficult being a mother and, and being an artist because leaving your kids, you have this incredible guilt. You know, what the hell am I doing here? I should be at home bathing my child before it goes to bed. You know, and those things, you know, stay with you, you know, and and they can bring you down and they can make you stop doing what you do, what you, what you love doing. And I always, I was, I had great support. I mean, Joe was brilliant and my husband and um, my mother was, was a great help in family. You know, my sister was great. You know, we'd all give a dig out to each other when we, when we needed to. But um, only for that, I don't know how I would have had the career I had with having three kids, you know, yeah. two small kids at home. You know, so it's not easy. It's very hard. And it's yeah. not easy for men to leave their kids now either. I'm not saying it is. But there's something about a mother not being there. I don't know. Maybe I'm old-fashioned when I think, you know, mother really should be there (laughs) with their kids. And yet, they can't be. If they want to have a career, if they want to work, if they want to make money to buy, to pay the mortgage, you know, it's not all about even having a happy life. It's about feeding your kids. And sometimes the single mothers who are trying to struggle, I think it's very hard on women. Yeah. Okay, I won't say that any more about that. I'm not. I don't lose sleep over it, but you know, when you ask me, that's the way I feel. Yeah. Well, I look. I mean, I think it's one of those things where if you're an artist and you're a mother, you have to sort of figure out the balance between how do I feed the creative life and yet remain a vital force uh, in my in my yeah. children's life. You know, I used to always cushion each trip by being making sure I was home both sides of a trip of three weeks, say, to America or whatever. And, um, you know, it, it, it made a difference. You have, to, you have to make sure that, you know, everything is okay and everything's covered and the kids are happy. And But you do the best you can. You're juggling all the time. Well, I will tell you that your son is one of the nicest guys I've ever talked to, so you did a great he job. Is. He's a sweetheart. He I is. just had lunch with him today. He's, they're playing, they're doing loads of gigs here around Ireland at the moment. Um, and all sold out. They can't get tickets for the Coronas. But he is the loveliest fella. But I always said it to him, you know, Danny, the people you meet on the way down are the people, people you meet on the way up are the people you're going to meet on the way down. Yeah. <laughs> and not only that, but like I said, when anybody, you have to listen to people. If they're telling you that they really like your music, and I said, you look them in the eye and you say, thank you. Because it is the best compliment you can ever get. And never take it for granted. And I think it's just, Hopefully, it's a bit of advice, you know, stayed with them. But they are good kids. They're well-rounded kids. I call them kids. They're all in their 30s. Um, <laughs> no, but they're still my kids. Roshan is doing really well. I was over in Galway with, at her gig last night. 
um, with Thanks Brother. They have a band called Thanks Brother. She's the youngest. And uh, she's doing really well. She's a great singer. I, even, I have to say, far better than ever I was. Well, you know, when I was talking to him, he was telling me that he and his sister really collaborate a lot. And it, it really mm-hmm. makes me think that, you're, that your family, you know, you guys really trust each other creatively. And that is such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Roisin and, and uh, Danny have written a lot of stuff together. And, yeah. and he's written some her stuff with her as well. But they, they collaborate with a lot of different people. I mean, you know, it's kind of a nice thing to do is to sit, get together and one of them has an idea and then they work, they, they sit through it and they come up with a song. Something beautiful about that, you know? And if they can do that together, it's wonderful. But they don't work together. I mean, she does back and vocals sometimes for the Coronas. But um, they don't touch, yeah, I mean, they're not, not in the same band. I don't think that would work. That would be too much, like, you know? Too much. Yeah, I can see I that. Think it'd be too much. <laughs> how, by the way, how are you with taking compliments? Have you, have you been good in your life at, at sort of receiving compliments, or do they make you uncomfortable? Mm, yeah, not great at taking compliments. I'm better than I used to be, but I, I know I was never great at it, you know? Uh, Irish people are, are, you know, they're a bit like that, you know? They don't, they don't, they kind of, they get a bit embarrassed when people compliment them, you know? It's, I didn't know it was a very Irish <laughs> a thing. Little, I think it's a bit of an Irish thing that, you know, and change the subject, you know, don't, let's not talk too much about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mary Black, you're one of my favorite singers of all time, and I think you're marvelous. Uh, thank you so much. I take that compliment. I'm very, very happy to take that. There you go. See, um, I, I'm so appreciative that you took the time to chat with me. Thank you so much. I, I was really looking forward no, no. to it. And thanks for answering all my silly questions. No, you were great. Thank you, Mary. Stay safe and say hey to Danny for me. I will. I do that. Thanks a million. That was really cool. The legendary and lovely Mary Black. Her new album is called Orchestrated, and it's a recording of Mary's favorite songs orchestrated with the RTE NSO and conducted by Brian Byrne at the National Concert Hall. The album is gorgeous. Of course it is. It's Mary Black with an orchestra. How could it be anything but gorgeous? Go get a copy. Mary-Black.net is where you should go to find out all the things that are going on in Mary Black's life. Go to alexgreenonline.com to find out what's going on with me. I know, I know, I talk about everything in my life incessantly on my podcast, so there might not be much of a point you're thinking in visiting me online, but do it just to make me feel good, okay? A reminder that Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, leave a nice comment, Tell a friend, tell them to leave a nice comment, then have them tell all their friends. You see how it works. Only I can make spreading the word about a podcast sound like a pyramid marketing scheme. (laughs) Let's close the show with a full listen to the song No Frontiers, reimagined with an orchestra. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. If life is a river and your heart is a boat, 